Because the whole world gone crazy! Just please, go nuts. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I mean, really, explore the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's down there somewhere. Let me take another one. <laughs> welcome friends, welcome enemies, welcome home dogs and home cats to Beautiful Animals Podcast. This is Beautiful Animals Podcast. Here we are, back in the bottom of a well, down here taking another look. Taking another look. With Tyler James Cole and myself, Andrew motherfucking Bosch. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. We're gathered here today to talk about a little thing we like to call Beautiful Animals Podcast. We're here today to start talking about, uh, I think think this is going to be the very beginning, sort of tip of the iceberg conversation for uh, a little jaunt down the road of mythology and comparative religions for Beautiful Animals Podcast. Anyway, so today, just to start things off, we're going to start with like a little template, a little like framework through which we can discuss many of the stories here to come. And this framework is called The Hero's Journey. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Our early episodes have been, uh, we talked about the saculum and we kind of talked about some psychology shit, but now we're kind of talking about like some storytelling, like actually the mechanics of a story- storytelling. Yeah, sort like, of the framework, yeah, the kind of like almost narrative a framework analytical through look which at stories how, are produced. Yeah. You know, since the first episode uh, when we talked about the saculum and we discussed the archetypes of the different generations, I've been really wanting to kind of circle back to talk about what archetypes are. And we even brushed on it a little bit during Young. But after this episode, I think we're really going to be ready to dive into the kind of idea of archetypes and the role they play in the narratives that shape our lives and the world at large. Yeah, it's cool. We've kind of kind of dive into some narrative structures and framework and all that bullshit. It's just fun how we how our early episodes are were kind of, even though we're not trying, they're kind of tying into the Everything's connected, episode. man. Everything is connected, and it's yeah, man. It all ties everything together, and you know what I think you're trying to say, Tyler. I think you're trying to say life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you know, no. What I'm really trying to say is life is like a box of triscuits. If you don't have a whole bunch of cheese, you're not gonna have that much fun. You know what? That's actually a really good metaphor for what we're gonna talk about today. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, because the hero's journey. If you had to really boil down the hero's journey, it's about like seeking that which actually drives you, seeking that which really makes you excited and gives you life and gives you verve, right? It makes you want to be and makes you want to live and makes you want to go. I've never felt any of that. I know. That's because right now your life is a box of Triscuits. Oh. <laughs> you got to find more cheese. This is what I'm saying. This is what you're saying. It is what I'm saying. You're right. Yeah. I'm really smart. Li- I know. Life could easily be just a box of Triscuits. Yeah. If you don't find any mini sausages or cheese. <laughs> <laughs> to put on the Triscuits. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. This is the perfect analogy for this episode. So get ready for some more Triscuit talk. Get ready for more Triscuit talk because it's coming at you. It's coming at you hard and fast, just like sweet old life. <laughs> sweet old life and sweet old cheese. No, but really, I mean, what we're going to talk about today, our primary source for today's episode, is a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces by a guy named, a little guy named Joseph Campbell. <laughs> Don't start that again. Okay. Any, any, anyone listening who's taken any kind of comparative mythology class or religion class or narrative structure class or, or like, storytelling or creative writing class. Or like high or school English. High school English or like filmmaking class. Anybody who's taken any of those classes, like even one of them, knows this guy's name, Joseph Campbell. The reason being is that he wrote this book. This book laid out the framework for what we commonly talk about today and call The Hero's Journey. The Hero's Journey is basically a template that Joseph Campbell discovered by studying all of the myths of the freaking world 
and realizing that they all kind of follow a basic formula. Then he laid this out in this book, and basically every filmmaker, every writer since 1949 when this book was written has at least taken a little bit of inspiration from this template and followed its guidelines to create and craft a more sensational, human-feeling story. I do remember learning about the hero's journey in like high school English. Like oh, I yeah. And <clears throat> there's like a chart. Yeah, there's like that boring chart, and you're like, oh, I don't know what the hell this is because you're 14. Sure, whatever. Yeah. And you're, but yeah, like since we've been talking about it a little bit, I've been kind of paying more attention to narrative structure when I'm watching movies and shit. And uh, one thing that we definitely need to get into in a future episode is just this experience that I had. <laughs> now I don't, I don't smoke a lot of weed. I don't. I've never been much of a weed smoker, but, which may surprise some of you. <laughs> I know, right? But I ate a weed gummy one time. No, don't call the cops on Adult me. Adult content I, here. <laughs> yeah, and then I watched The Princess Bride, which I had never seen at the time. This was about six months ago. It kind of blew my mind in a lot of ways. I love that movie. But yeah, we definitely need to talk about it in the future episode. We'll bring it up a little bit here just because there are such good examples <laughs> yeah. of these particular pieces of the hero's journey. Unfortunately, I won't remember it that well because I was fucking high. But yeah, that what my high brain kept noticing during that movie was like, wow, the process of writing this movie must have been so... Stre- it was like streamlined. It was just like, it's like they were following a formula while they wrote it. Turns out, <laughs> they were. <laughs> oh, no shit. So was everybody else. Yeah, I mean, we're going to definitely talk about a little bit in this episode, we're going to talk about Star Wars, specifically the- I was about to say, even Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, especially Star Wars, Well, but Harry Potter follows this formula. I was about to say, even Harry Potter? Yes. <laughs> Lord of the Rings follows this formula uh, to an extent. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting about Lord of the Rings, though, which is great- Is it was written before this book? Yes, but it's told from the point of view of the character that's not the hero, right? Aragorn's on the hero's journey. Oh, no shit. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Well, I mean, you know, they, they kind of all are, but it, it, like his is a lot more <laughs> it's classic. It's like several hero's journeys. Yeah, I mean, they're all heroes, right? So they're all on their own hero's hike. journey, but it's really cool. Like, if you think of it as, like, Aragorn's the actual hero of the story, Yeah. and Frodo just, like, happens to be there. <laughs> okay, so Joseph Campbell, born in 1904, from a very young age was really interested in myths and in myths and legends and stories of heroes. And reading those stories, he he extensively studied Native American uh, folklore and mm-hmm. mythology, which is, is which is really cool because in this book, there's a lot of examples of different Native American tribes from North America and from up in Alaska and some from South America uh, and Central America. So there's a lot of diverse content. You really get to feel like, OK, this guy's not just talking about the West, Bible. Western culture yeah. or the Bible or even like more traditionally referenced myths like um, Sumerian tradition or Chinese tradition, right, or yeah. Indian culture. He's done a little homework. He's done a little bit of homework. Yeah, Basically, he did 50 years of homework and then he wrote a book. And in this book, he lays out this theory that we're going to talk about today titled uh, The Monomyth. In his breakdown, he or in this book, he breaks down the hero's journey, which is like the template for all myths and legends, into 17 parts. A lot of those parts can kind of be amalgamated into one in different parts of the series uh, or in different parts of the cycle. So a lot of diagrams you'll see just break it into 12 parts. I want to talk about each of those 12 parts today. But first, the the basic structure is three basic parts. And you can really see this basic structure in any story of adventure, any myth, any legend that you've heard of. Three parts, beginning, middle, end. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, you said that as a joke, but it's really true. 
The beginning of the story and the beginning of the monomyth is called The Call, right? Or by Joseph Campbell, it's dubbed The Call or The Call to Adventure, right? That This is our hero starts in an ordinary place or ordinary world. And then something happens where he's called to adventure. Now, sometimes you'll hear this called the break in ceremony, but oh, yeah. it's where your character is going about their everyday life and then something happens to take them out of their comfort zone, out of their ordinary life and propel them on this path that leads them to adventure. Yeah, the beginning of the story kind of sets up this as a routine. Mm-hmm. Something interrupts the routine. Something's got to be dealt with. Yeah, and that, that interruption can be a lot of different things. It can literally be a phone call, like in The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Or it could be a letter or a wizard breaking into their house. Yeah, a letter in or the mail a, saying, you're a wizard, Harry. Or, or a, <laughs> or a uh, guy pissing on your rug. Yeah, it could be a guy pissing on your rug. You think the carpet pissers did this? The beginning of third of your hero's journey is this section called The Call. Now, many, many things can happen during this beginning period to sort of interrupt the flow or change the way that the hero goes about it. We're going to talk about it a little more in depth, but you could refuse the call or resist it. A lot of heroes do. Sounds like that's a pretty like it's, common thing. It's like, pretty common nah, to man, initially refuse the call to adventure. Exactly. I'm too old for this shit. I'm too old for this shit. I don't have time to go I'm rescue not a my wizard. daughter. Yeah, exactly. I just want to stay on Tatooine. Whatever. So <laughs> there's a lot of things that can happen in the introductory period. But once you decide to, or once the hero decides to answer the call to adventure, they have to cross a threshold, and then they can go on to part two of the monomyth, the middle. The middle. Yeah. That's my favorite part of the burger. Oh, nice. If you break the monomyth in three basic parts, this middle part is uh, often called the initiation. This is where a lot of trials are going to occur that test our hero. And it's also where they will acquire new skills or new tools or new talents or new magic powers so that they can progress beyond, you know, tougher and tougher challengers until they reach some sort of ultimate boss, the challenger, right? Or the dragon at the end that they have to battle in order to receive this last part of the initiation process, which is the, the either like saving of the princess or, you know, the treasure that Indiana Jones gets at the end of the freaking Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. That piece is called the ultimate boon. Again, we're going to go back to all these things, but the initiation starts with the crossing of the threshold from the known into the unknown, from your comfort zone into an area of discomfort and challenge, and ends with you receiving this ultimate kind of divine gift, or often called the ultimate boon. At that point, you can begin part three of the monomyth, which is called the return. Oh, yeah, that's the end. Yeah, that's the end bit, is known as the return. And this is when the hero returns back to their society or to their place of comfort and brings with them the boon that they received from this journey outside into the Yeah, the, the tools or the skills or the lightsaber that they gained Yeah, in the middle, the middle section there. So we're going to go into this. Are you ready? You mm-hmm. ready to go on a journey with me, my friends? I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm fucking ready. Let's fucking do it, bro. So Joseph Campbell breaks up, you know, this template into 17 different parts, but some of them can kind of get glommed together. So most of the references to the hero's journey that you're going to see are broken into 12 parts. So those 12 parts are as follows. Just to list them out real quick. Number one, the ordinary world. That's just our starting place, right? That's before the call to adventure even occurs. It's kind of setting the scene. Yeah, right? it's the Shire. It's their fucking life. All yeah, the food they're eating. Yeah, it's the dude buying half and half <laughs> with a check. <laughs> yes. You know, it's that kind of stuff. So then that's the ordinary world. Kind of sets the scene. Then there's the call to adventure. That's part two. Fucking Gandalf showing up being like, hey, mm-hmm. we are a hobbit, Harry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
your hairy hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> then, and in, and in most cases, in most hero's journey, there's a period of refusal where the hero does not want to go or is reluctant to go on the journey. Now, there's something else I don't know if we'll get to cover it in this episode that people call the call refused, which is where the hero refuses to go on the journey and doesn't change his mind. And that's that kind of starts its own journey? Yeah, and they oh. call it the shadow journey. This is a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. <laughs> there are different paths that a character or a human being can take. But typically, and according to Joseph Campbell, always, if you refuse the call to adventure, if like if the universe is calling you to some greater good or some greater state of being or some greater connection with the world or divinity or God, which is what this is all about, you're going to see, and you refuse it and you <clears throat> don't ever decide to answer the call... It's going to be a bad. It's going to end up with a terrible life. You're either going to get stuck climbing the corporate ladder forever and then on your deathbed realize money doesn't matter. Or you're just going to live in the Shire and die alone. I just want to make it clear that the refusal of the call is temporary in the hero's journey. And yeah. if there's the, a finality to the refusal, you go down sort of a different path. But in the hero's journey, according to Joseph Campbell, the yeah, they period gotta, of refusal and then they're like, okay, let's he's go. always going to be like, no, man, I'm retired. I'm done with that life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they're like, okay, well, let us know if you change your mind. And yeah, then something and, usually happens to change their mind. Otherwise, it well, wouldn't be a good can, movie. It often, I mean, it's scary. Your comfort zone is comfortable for a reason. And the unknown is uncomfortable because it's frightening. So like in, in The Matrix, when Neo like is first approached by Trinity and she has him meet him, meet him in the club and stuff, he's like, no, fuck that, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to do this. Because it's... It seems crazy. It's very much outside of the norm for the hero in this setting. Like, it's outside their normal life. It's probably outside of the advice of anyone in their normal life. Exactly. After the refusal, again, this is part three, uh, once you finally make up your mind to go on the quest, your the hero or you or whoever is going to meet a mentor who's going to help them cross the threshold, which is the next step. Now, this is often somebody like Gandalf or somebody like Yoda. Or, in the case of the Matrix, Morpheus, right? No matter what, they always have a beard. Well, except when they don't. Yoda and Morpheus don't have beards. Okay, well, Gandalf and Hagrid do. <laughs> yeah, yep, okay. Yeah, you're right, you're, you're right. And so does Obi-Wan, uh, I think. Obi-Wan does have a little beard. He's got some scruff. <clears throat> so, after the hero gets over their little refusal period, they're often meant by a mentor or a guide of some kind who's going to help them kind of take their first steps into the period of initiation that heralds the second part of the monomyth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the second part meaning the middle. That's the middle, yeah. That's the burger, that's the patty, that's the lettuce, <laughs> pickles, tomatoes mm-hmm. if you're into that kind of thing. Joseph Campbell calls this stage uh, supernatural aid, right? This is when the mentor or somebody with more experience, somebody with more knowledge meets the hero and helps propel them on this quest. So this uh, supernatural aid can, it doesn't have to be another character. It can be, you know, some kind of divine wind or some kind of divine force. Could that, probably just be like the character remembering their past. and Like, oh man, that was really fun, wasn't it? When I used to yeah. be a small town cop who didn't play by the rules. Or even something <laughs> something happening like, you know, the way is shut for some reason. There's some kind of flood and then there's some parting of the waters. Or, yeah. And that's not a good example because that's something <laughs> else. But <laughs> something that opens up the path for them, right? There's some kind of supernatural aid. Uh, the mentor, we mentioned a couple. Uh, here's another one with a beard. 
Glenda the Good Witch. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dorothy, actually, the Wizard of Oz is a really good hero's journey. Oh, yeah. They like literally leave the ordinary world. She's to... literally like, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, <laughs> the ordinary world meaning Kansas. Mm-hmm. She goes to the extraordinary world meaning Arkansas, which is spelled kind of the same as Kansas. <laughs> okay, so after, they're in the, after the period of supernatural aid or the meeting with the mentor, there's uh, what's called the crossing of the threshold. This marks... Literally, the crossing from the known to the unknown, like the the step from the comfort zone, from the comfortable world into the next part of the story, which is going to be much more challenging to the hero, which is going to be much more difficult, right? You can see examples of this in, I mean, very clearly in like the Lord of the Rings, Sam says, if I take one more step, (laughs) this will be the farthest from home I've ever been, right? Yeah. Or in The Matrix... When Neo literally goes into a mirror and crosses the threshold no, of yeah. his world into yeah. another world, so it's very it's a very literal threshold yeah. in most stories that this person crosses. In other stories, it's not as literal, right? Like it might be some sort of inward meditation that leads you to open a gateway into the next part of your psyche. Oh, you mean like using some sort of tape? Yeah, perhaps so. But actually, in Young, like for him to cross his threshold, right? He was in the desert for a long time, but mm-hmm. it actually took a while for him to get to that next. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, that yeah. was. Uh... Yeah, actually, there's a lot of parallels. I'm not gonna draw too many of them during this episode, but if you think back to the Young episodes, I mean, you'll see he was a very dedicated student of mythology as well, and you can kind of see a lot of conclusions by both Joseph Campbell and Young, and of course Joseph Campbell. Red Young and his works, not yep. the Red Book, but everything else. Anyway, so the crossing of the first threshold. This is the delineation between the known and the unknown. Uh, when our hero encounters the threshold, so like after they've overcome their own refusal of the call and they're ready to cross this threshold, they've met with their mentor who's given them some advice or whatever, they're often met with what's called a threshold guardian. So this is like the final obstacle, other than their own self-doubt or whatever, to crossing that threshold from the known to the unknown. The refusal is the internal barrier. The threshold guarding is the first exterior barrier. Exactly. And we know that the hero is not going to be able to get past these threshold guardians if they haven't already reached this decision in themselves. Because the threshold guardian, essentially, no matter what form they take, is going to say to the hero, go home, go back to what's safe, don't come through here. And if you haven't, or if the hero hasn't already undergone that like period of self-work and really firmly made the decision to move forward, then they would just turn around and go home. But at this point, they've overcome their refusal and they're ready to move past or fight or do whatever they need to do with the Threshold Guardians. One pretty common motif is that the hero character can often turn these Threshold Guardians into allies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you think of an example of that? Sam saying, you don't want to leave the Shire, Frodo. You, just, you want to stay here and eat all this bread. I'm just trimming the veg. And then fucking Frodo's like, come on, Sam, let's go for a walk. And Sam's like, all right. I'll-. Yeah, I was kind of thinking of the Princess Bride, actually. <laughs> well, you know, the problem with the Princess Bride is I was really fucking high when I watched it. <laughs> so while I had a lot of deep thoughts, I don't remember it at all. Okay, let me refresh you. So memory. I'm stoked to watch it again in for the, the first time In again. the Princess Bride, which is one of my favorite movies, the man in black, also known as the Dread Pirate Roberts is pursuing Buttercup and her captors. And who are those two people? Three They're people. the uh, the the giant guy, mm-hmm. the squirrel man, and <laughs> who's the third guy? Spaniard. 
Was it the Spaniard? Oh, yeah, the Spaniard. I was thinking the Man in Black was the Spaniard for some reason. Inigo Montoya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, <laughs> I thought this was like your favorite movie. <laughs> I, it's my favorite movie, but I've only seen it once, and I was really high, and it was six months ago. Okay, so the Man in Black encounters at the top of the, the cliffs, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember him climbing up the rope. He climbs up the rope. They yeah. don't think he can climb up the rope. And then he has, first, he fights Inigo Montoya, yeah. right, who's this amazing swordsman. Yeah. I mean, we're not doing our Princess Bride episode, <laughs> no, but no. I love Princess Bride a little bit. <laughs> So he fights the swordsman. No spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> to me, who has yeah. only seen it once, really high. Then he has to fight Physic, who's the, the giant. giant. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And he wins. Those two guys become his allies oh, later yeah. on. That's right. Yeah, they're his homies. Kind of remember now. And now, for the entire like trial period, for this initiation period, our hero uh, is going to be in this unknown space that's uncomfortable for them, where they're going to be tested yeah. and pushed to greater and greater lengths until they meet some sort that's of. That's like the the main part of the story, the bulk of the series. Yeah, the uh, the where all the action is. It's where all the action is. This is like what most movies and stories and even uh, you know myths and legends are all about. Basically, this period. This middle period where uh, our hero has to, you know, defeat the Cyclops and steal the Golden Fleece and, you know, come up against all of these different challengers and different enemies in order to get whatever they're looking for. Yeah, it's the middle part of the burger. It's the patty. It's the world of flavor is. Yeah, it's kind of the meat. Oh, yeah, getting to the meat of the <laughs> meat story. Of the story. No shit. Yeah. So now, my metaphors sometimes make a little more sense than I even think they're going to. It's as if that was like a metaphor someone else made. <laughs> you know, I never thought of it that way, like the meat of the issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone was just talking about a sandwich. Well, I, yeah, no shit they are talking about a sandwich. Well, no, I thought they were talking about like the skin and the fat and then the meat. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or like even on like a... Um, Listen to me like, oh, what are you crazy not thinking about sandwiches? What? <laughs> like a squash or something? Like you got like the skin part and Is then you- meat in there? Well, it's meatier. A watermelon. You're thinking of watermelon. No, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so after the crossing of the threshold, that's where the fun begins, right? That's where, um, you know, Link has to f- travel to the four different guardians and unlock their powers. Yeah, and all the temples. And, exactly. And do all the work that's involved in order for the adventure to take place. This section, Joseph Campbell calls this first entrance into this unknown space. Uh, He calls it the belly of the whale. And in a lot of myths and legends, that literally is the belly of the whale. He quotes in his book, there's an Inuit story about about Raven, this character Raven, and how he's swallowed by a whale and then has to find his way out. Just like Pinocchio, who's also swallowed by a whale. We, we could probably do a whole episode on just whale belly stories. Yeah, I think there was another guy in the Bible. But according to Joseph Campbell, there's a greater significance to the belly of the whale as it's a representation. Well, let me just back up a little bit. One of the things that's going on here in the hero's journey is a death and rebirth, right? So it's not just about the hero going out and having an adventure and getting something and coming back, even though that's kind of what I said before. It's more about the hero letting go of a certain aspect of themselves and letting a piece of themselves die so they can be reborn as the greater, more true, divine self. It might seem like an obvious sort of analogy, yeah. but according to Joseph Campbell, this belly of the whale represents being in the womb. Right. So it's where this like this story of death and rebirth is going to initiate. It's where it's going to begin because that's where all life begins is in the womb so this the belly of the whale is actually a metaphor for 
the greater womb. When the person is eaten from the outside, people who saw him get eaten, they're like, He's dead. He's certainly dead. But you're actually in a state of gestation. Yeah, just sitting there thinking like, hmm, I wonder if I can ever get out of here. Yeah, and you're going to have to change some part of your life in yeah. order to experience the rebirth. Joseph Campbell, he brings up in his book that temples are also designed to represent or replicate the same sort of process. Like you enter within this place, you experience some form of rebirth, either through communion or through baptism, right? Yeah. And then you emerge from the temple or the church reborn, yeah. literally born again. And we're going to get into it more as we get through the other sections. But another source for this episode is a documentary called Finding Joe. It's about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. One of the things they really nail home is that this process of death and rebirth and becoming like your truer, more divine self is really what he was getting at. He invented the term or he coined the term follow your bliss. Yeah. Like you see that on shirts all the time and stuff. That's his idea that like you have to let this sort of less important, smaller, more bound version of yourself die. Yeah. So you can be reborn as your own hero. So the belly of the whale represents that first part of the metamorphosis, that womb state, that gestation state. And so even though that's not part of every story, that's that's an example of the way that threshold is crossed yeah well it's kind of where you go after you cross the threshold okay like you cross the threshold oh, yeah. and you're into the belly of the whale yeah. right because the threshold is the barrier between your common you're into the shit like into yeah the battle, you're in into the, the shit yeah, yeah you're in it right yeah. and no that's a good point because you just said in the battle right maybe that's the womb where you're going to be tested and reborn is like a battlefield right mm -hmm. maybe you literally fall into a crater and you have this epiphany and you get up and you run down against the enemy soldiers because you found this newfound courage right Part of you died when you fell into that pit or that yeah. crater, and another part of you was born when you stood up and charged anyway. So the belly of the whale is part of the test allies and enemies section. A lot of other graphics or a lot of other representations of the hero's journey are going to just kind of lump these next few parts together as tests, allies, and enemies, where it's basically the you know initiation period. Joseph Campbell calls this the road of trials. One thing I will just note, because we're running into it already... This is a big template, <laughs> and it, it, it attempts to encompass all, basically every story and every myth ever told, and the very basic parts are absolutely there, but as you start to like be like, hey, well, how does this apply? How does that apply? You're going to see there's still a lot you of You kind of have to stretch to get you it in. stretch a little bit. To and yeah, what I'm kind of getting the impression that like, the thing fits, except when it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the thing about creating this structure is trying to get all stories to fit into is you have to make it a really broad form that it could fit in yeah you ha exactly and then like oh yeah when some some things skip certain parts and some things don't and it's just totally no you're totally right when anytime you attempt to make a template broad enough to fit everything you're gonna lose some stuff in the process yeah right because it's like he has 17 parts and then people break it into 12 parts and it's really just three basic parts, <laughs> yeah. which is the call, the initiation, and the return. But there's some pretty interesting stuff in here. And that's why we're talking about it. On the road of trials, many things can occur, right? You can have to fight some Dementors or... <laughs> or uh, some Ringwraiths. Ringwraiths, whatever you gotta fight. Wookies. Goblins, Wookies. A lot of templates break this into 12 parts, and so they lump together the whole tests period. Now, Joseph Campbell breaks up his tests period into several different examples of what those tests might be. 
Uh, some of them are as follows. The meeting with the goddess. Woman as temptress. Mm. So there's two different things oh, here. Sometimes, goddess or... Yeah, producer? goddess or temptress, right? So there could be... But a lot of the time, this temptress character, not necessarily a woman, is actually a metaphor for physical or material temptations of life. So this temptress or temptation, yeah. we can call it temptation, right? It might be a plate of spaghetti. It could be, uh, you know, some kind of material good like money or fame or something like might that. Might be the villain showing up in the middle of the story and be like, I see you're trying to stop me from doing what I'm doing. May I offer you this suitcase full of money? Exactly right. Exactly right. Along the road of trials, there's typically some sort of temptation by the sort of lesser, uh, that appeal to the lesser ideals of the hero. There's a very good example of this that's almost pretty literal in the story of the Buddha. I'm not familiar. So the the story of Buddha in brief, and I'm not super accomplished study of Buddhist (laughs) mythology, but yeah, Buddha was born uh, the prince in a a really wealthy kingdom. He was a prince, right? And his father wanted to keep him from seeing the- uh, The real world. The real world. He didn't want him to see death. He didn't want him to see sickness. He didn't want him to see famine. So he kept him sort of corralled in this little small area of the palace, and he only allowed like healthy and young and beautiful people into that area so that his son would never see any of these bad parts of the world because he wanted to protect his son. Right? Yeah, he so there the, was always plenty of food. There's always plenty of hotties. There's always plenty of whatever goes with that. Any like material joy you could get out of the world he had at his fingertips, yeah. right? And believe it or not, he became bored pretty quick. And he started to wonder, like, what else was out there, mm-hmm. right? So he was able to convince a driver or something to take him outside of his little, like, inner part of the palace. And he sees a sick guy. He sees a dying guy. He sees all this famine and terrible things. Yeah, and he decides, like, fuck this. I need to, you know, cast off these sort of trappings of wealth and this, like, not innocence, but sheltered existence and see what's really out there. He goes out and does some stuff, and he ends up deciding to sit in meditation under the bow tree. Basically meditate until he becomes God. That's his plan. <laughs> or to fast until he knows like the true nature of the universe. <clears throat> He's approached by, uh, I believe it's Shiva, who brings with him like an army of women to like have sex with him. He brings with him like gold and jewels and all these things. And he's just trying to get him to stop sitting at the bow tree and meditating. And he doesn't do it our hero has to be centrally focused on the attainment of this sort of divine boon. Or just the goal. like he The actual be... goal. And he can't yeah. be, like, diverted off the path. So, so typically just... on the road of trials, he might face some, like, literal enemies that are physically trying to stop him. He might face some, like, literal physical obstacles, like he has to cross a raging river or jump over some pillar of fire or yeah. something like that. But then almost always in the hero's journey, he's going to face this sort of final temptation that appeals to these values or priorities that this person, this hero, used to hold really closely. The ultimate distraction. Yeah, and this te- this part becomes the test of have they really made the choice internally yeah. to Slip. let go of their old self and move forward to the next level. Yeah. And if our hero really has, then they're in for a treat. Oh, a treat, huh? So we talked about Belly of the Whale begins, you can face some other obstacles, then there's a temptation typically. And then we get like another layer deeper into step what Joseph Campbell calls step nine, the atonement with the parent. I think this, he refers to it more as the atonement with the father. He's a little more gendered about it. We're going to be a little less gendered. Well, it's not even about gender. It's just because it's not even literally a parent. It's like, it's just a, a teacher or a... 
Well, I don't, I don't know. I need to you, let you explain <laughs> it first before I pretend to know what you're talking about. Joseph Campbell breaks it down like this, right? Again, like if you really break it down in three parts, part of his reasoning for these monomyths to exist is that they're a mirror of the human experience. So he would call the beginning part where you're at home, your childhood while you're with your mom. You're in a safe and comfortable place. You're a kid yeah. you're taken care of. You get to a certain age or a certain point in your life, and you have to go from being a child to character to, to, to becoming a productive member of society. And how do you do that? You have to be cut off from the comfort part, the mother part, and you have to go <laughs> be tested and initiated into the tribe, right? Be yeah. taught the roles and the rules and the place that you're going to be in. You gotta in get a job, role. you gotta pay rent, you gotta pay for your insurance. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right there. And then at a certain point, and the point we're talking about right now, which is called atonement with a parent, Joseph Campbell would say, like, that's when, if you're, let's call it a young man, like, goes out to join the warrior group of his tribe, yeah. has to face up against the older generation, and, yeah. and learn how to take their place. And he's like, what is the guidance you've been trying to give me? And they're just like, we fucking don't know what we're doing either. Yeah, that's right. You nailed it. You're right there. I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? Like, everybody talks about how you realize when you're grown up that grownups didn't realize it, didn't know what they were fucking doing anyway. Uh -huh. That is the atonement with the parent period of the hero's journey. It's when you get to that point where you take on that next role or you're able to make peace with that father figure or parent figure. It's where you confront your parent and say, you told me I needed to do this, this, and this. I did that. My life is still bullshit. Now, now what? And they say, <laughs> and they say, here you are, dude. <laughs> Welcome to the real Welcome world, to the jackass. Real world, bitch. This parent figure has some sort of, has a, a, a power over life and death, Right. Maybe it's the person that brought you into the world and they can take you out of it, right? <laughs> so an example is like in the first Harry Potter movie when he goes to the mirror and he literally sees yeah. his dead parents in the mirror and they get, literally give him the power over life and death, which is the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm thinking the earlier part of the movie where they don't do shit. Oh, yeah. That's more of the temptation period for Harry, right? Because what does he want more than anything else? family yeah so he's tempted by the mirror of irised to just fucking sit there all day which, which is kinda, again the mirror kind of nice the mirror of irised is just literally the temptation part of the hero's journey <laughs> yeah. right it literally just shows any character what they want most in the world <laughs> yeah conveniently really easy plot device things. and dumbledore says yeah okay i'm gonna set this as one of the ordeals to get the <laughs> sorcerer's stone nice. so you literally have to turn away from yeah. what you want most in order to get the thing you actually want which is the uh -oh. fucking sorcerer's stone <laughs> and dumbledore God, i didn't even think about how much this follows this formula dumbledore makes it so that what yeah. you want in order to get what you want you have to counteract the the temptation portion of the fucking diagram exactly <laughs> of the the template yeah you gotta you gotta beat that part. Like I said, there's actually a lot of different ways to break up a lot of different models for breaking up the monomyth. Most people consolidate a lot of the things. Basically, what we just talked about the the meeting with the goddess, the temptation period, and then the atonement with the parent figure. And I'll back up to meeting with the goddess a little bit. We didn't cover that much. It's not like specifically a woman goddess or something like that. It's sort of the encounter with the divine creative force. Yeah, just like a divine intelligence. Yeah, or literally the force, Yeah, like in Star Wars. 
Also in Star Wars, there's a pretty clear atonement with the father. Yeah. <laughs> Luke literally <laughs> has to encounter his and father. And I'm sure it's like, it's like that in almost every story. It's like literally a parent or like literally their, yeah. whoever the teacher was or their whoever brought them into the life that they yeah. tried to abandon before the story began. Exactly. So the, those the meaning with the sort of divine creative force, the temptations, and then the atonement with the parent, those are kind of the last supreme ordeals, right? Because the road of trials that leads up to that, those again are more like external obstacles. Yeah. And then those last three things we just mentioned, those are again like they're external, but they're playing on the internal yeah. processes of the hero, right? Totally. And a lot of what you'll see in the hero's journey is like external is one thing, but never as difficult as the internal things, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, so once you've faced these supreme ordeals, right? The final of which that we spoke about was the atonement with the parent. Then you're on to the last thing, and that's called a apotheosis. Apotheosis is the sometimes literal final death and rebirth of the hero. So this is the point at which the hero truly realizes their like complete and total divine self. Yeah, and a lot of time like in the story it's like a looks like they've been defeated. They've been exactly. attacked. They're laying on the ground and mm-hmm. the villain's like <laughs> I fucking kicked his ass. And then there's but some it, kind of final spark. Yeah, it's like I'm not done yet. Yeah. This isn't over. I'm gonna stab you. All of a sudden they take a breath like in the Matrix, yeah. right, we see Neo get shot right in the chest by Agent Smith. Yeah. And he falls down on the ground, and he's dead. He flatlines. Yeah. And then Trinity calls out to him, right? And she's like, Neo. Oh, shit. And then he, like, takes a breath, and he stands up. And then he could see the Matrix and yeah. all the walls. Remember yeah, this? And he's like, mm. Yeah. He's attained this, like, actual oneness with the Matrix. He's become yeah. the one. Yeah. It's his death and rebirth. And so then when all the agents shoot at him, he just stops the bullets and he's like, wow, this is no problem. I'm in control of this. Computer. Exactly. He He's achieved the God God level yeah. badassness. The Matrix is a good uh, model for this, for me at least, because mm-hmm. I watched all four of the Matrix movies Recently. four days in a row like <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Perfect. <laughs> and my brain has still not recovered from yeah. that. feels like... It's been yeah. stabbed by one of those giant needles they well, used in the movie to enter yeah. you into the Matrix. The Matrix is a great... I mean, it's... The writers of the Matrix were following this model specifically. I mean, I mean the whole yeah. idea of the Matrix is that you're in this, like, unreal version of the world, and you have to get out of it, and then you have to bring that knowledge back to save everybody else, right? It's like the whole freaking thing that we're talking about. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> in Buddhism, Buddha achieves nirvana right he achieves this ultimate connection with the divine godhead and like understanding of oneness with the universe and with all that is and all that ever was and all that will be it's this experience of connectedness and enlargement to the size of divinity and universal stature that the hero goes through and then is able to it's the final realization of their quest they've attained their highest and truest self sometimes they get some kind of magic powers like neo or like uh friggin henry potter henry yeah typically like you said there's a brink of death experience not necessarily brink of death but brink of defeat I mean, what happens to Harry? He's almost dead, right? The ghost thing flies through him. No, that's well, after that's he after. wins. No, what, happened? what even happens? He's uh Man, you know what's what, cool? What does even happen? I don't even know. I don't even know. But you know what's <laughs> cool about Lord of the Rings when I was thinking about this? Yeah. Is like Frodo fails at the very end. 
Oh, yeah. He doesn't achieve apotheosis. Fucking... He gives in to temptation right at the end. Yeah. That's what makes that story so good. And Gollum also giving in to temptation. <laughs> even harder, obviously. Even harder <laughs> is what ends up saving the day. Yeah. Frodo never, it doesn't actually. Yeah, because like, yeah. if Gollum wasn't there, he's like, turns around, he's like, nah, Sam, I'm he not going to do left. this. And yeah. Sam's like, Sam's like, no, dude. And like. That's it. Realistically, Sam wouldn't have been able to like, no, nah, Frodo, we're doing this. He, he would have like, been able to he would just him. got trampled. No, he would have got trampled. Oh, because he was fucking invisible. Yeah. He yeah. was invisible. Yeah. yeah. Only Gollum could see him because he could see the ring. Yeah. This is what I mean about the hero in the Lord of the Rings not being Frodo. The story follows Frodo, but the hero's journey part of the story doesn't. It follows Aragorn. Yeah. Because Aragorn has, he's afraid of becoming king. And in order for him to like realize his eventual like divine purpose, he has to get over that fear of becoming king, the fear of his own opportunity to give in to temptation. Turn of the two towers. <sighs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Honestly, like Lord of the Rings is a good model for this because like even if you haven't seen it or read it, you yeah. kind of know the basic story. So like, oh yeah, yeah, there's the Shire and then like, so I feel like it's a good model. Yeah. Even if you haven't read it or, and also it's fucking old enough that you don't really have to give a shit about spoilers because. No. If, if you you're worried about shit. spoilers about Lord of the Rings at this point, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. No, the Hobbit on the other hand. So apotheosis is this, in biblical terms, it's like when Jesus is crucified and like dies for our sins, that's his like apotheosis. Yeah, like his apparent defeat. It's apparent defeat. Yeah. Exactly. And, but it's his, then he's reassimilated with divinity, right? Yeah. He spent three days and hanging out with God or whatever, yeah. or according to Young, in the underworld. In the underworld. To like fulfill his part of the cycle of going to hell and knowing everything. But then he comes back to deliver the boon back to the people, which is, you know, whatever he said. Anyway, all that. So apotheosis occurs. Neo becomes the one. Aragorn becomes the king. Jesus becomes God again. Harry Potter becomes a fucking badass. He was a badass from the start, bro. Yeah, I think the thing with that is he probably doesn't really achieve apotheosis well, yeah, until he fucking kills you're right, yeah, it's, Voldy it, at the end. Because, yeah, the first Harry Potter movie isn't. Is in the end of the story, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, I'm, I'm sure it follows his model. It's but got like, some arc, little mini arc. It's like. A seven mini hero's journey forming one giant hero's I was going to talk about this a little bit later. Yeah, but we'll definitely will. The trial period can sort of repeat, you know, and you can get to it like, so stories like Harry Potter, he's kind of repeating the trials over and over. Yeah. But like the road of trials again and again and the call to adventure again and again and not quite achieving apotheosis. And then, yeah, at the very end, he achieves this oneness with God or the ultimate defeat of his enemy yeah. vanquished and then he's able to return to a peaceful world but anyway so like yeah that you can find little mini heroes journeys in in the course of a grander story arc yeah. that occur over and over and over on bigger and larger scales in terms of storytelling like there's the story of the movie or of the story yeah one way to make that whole story into a really good story is each scene of that story tells that same story on a smaller scale mm, i love that so yeah, it's like yeah yeah so you tell so the like, same story over and over again it's echoing repeating echoing. and so like the whole if you were to summarize the movie in two sentences like oh this guy does this but this happens so he responds in By this way this. and so and this, and this happens yeah and then that's the whole story of the movie yeah. if you're able to make each scene of the movie basically that happening that's a good way to make the movie guy pisses on dude's rug <laughs> <laughs> guy goes looking for repayment Guy receives something else instead of repayment. Guy goes back home. 
Okay, so after apotheosis, our our hero the has story. achieved this sort of godhood, right? Uh, then they <laughs> typically receive what Joseph Campbell calls the ultimate boon, right? Which is like the reward for going through this ordeal and and proving themselves dedicated to becoming this divine and better self. Yeah, he returns to the Shire and it's just this fucking major party going on. Yeah, well, the boon is the thing that you can return to your normal world with yeah. to like help your normal oh, world. Yeah. So for Jesus, it's like the ultimate, the final gospels, like the real knowledge of God and the complete understanding of the divine yeah. like plan, right? Yeah, and same, same with thing Young. with Buddha. Same thing with Carl Jung. Yeah. It's it's for them because their apotheosis is of like connecting with God and divinity. Yeah, they come back to Earth to tell people how to save the world and save themselves by being more godlike or following, engaging in life in a more divine way. So they're trying to tell everybody like, "Hey, I just did this. I was able to connect to the divine source, and now I'm going to tell you how." The, for them, that's the ultimate boon. It's this ultimate clarity, this ultimate knowledge. Yeah. For other heroes in other stories, it's not. It's maybe something more specific. Like Jason and the Argonauts, right? He literally goes out to get the Golden Fleece. That's the boon. The thing that he gets is the Golden Fleece. Yeah. For King Midas, so in a lot of old stories, like in Greek stories, you go through these ordeals and then the gods grant you a wish. Yeah, I don't know a lot of these, so we probably got to... This, this is what I'm episode. saying is like we're going to talk. We're just doing like an overview, guys, of everything monomyth and myths and legends. And then we're going to do a bunch of fun episodes where we talk about Greek mythology, Norse mythology, Native American mythology. We're going to dip our toes into every little part of the world we can get into and really highlight these areas for you in later episodes. But in Greek mythology, here's a story you definitely know, right? King Midas, the Midas touch. King Midas, you might not know this. He, he went through his whole hero's journey arc before he got the Midas touch. And then after going through these ordeals, the God said, okay, we're going to grant you a wish. What do you want? According to Joseph Campbell, and definitely in the case of King Midas, we typically, or the hero will often choose the wrong thing. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So when God says like, Hey, I'll give you whatever you want. You still have a sort of an opportunity to fail there with the ultimate boon. Yeah. Choose the wrong thing. King Midas chose the wrong thing. Yes. Midas chose. He's the guy that, uh, all the shit he touches turns to gold, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And at first he's walking home and he's like, oh, there's an oak tree. Let me pick an acorn off here and turns to gold. He's like, this is great. This is awesome. Then he picks up a rock and turns to gold and he's like, fuck yeah, this is sick. Then he gets home and everybody's like, I could get so much ladies with all this gold. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then he gets home. They're having a big feast. He goes to eat a turkey leg like any normal person would. And he tries to bite it. Clink. It's fucking gold. Yeah. (laughs) Turkey, turkey. And right when he's being like, dude, I fucked up, his daughter runs up to him to give him a big hug. Oh, turkey, turkey. And he loves his daughter so much, and she turns to gold. Turns out when you're made out of gold, your blood doesn't flow, cardiac arrest happens. Cardiac arrest. Everything leads to cardiac arrest. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the the ultimate boon can take a lot of different forms, right? Not every story is the story of Carl Jung or Jesus or Buddha achieving a connection with divinity or my own personal stories in the wizard of oz she got the shoes she got the shoes but not only the shoes but she the shoes isn't what she wanted she wanted to go home with the shoes she obtained the appreciation for home and the knowledge that there is no place like home exactly right so for for dorothy (laughs) the ultimate boon was the power to return home to kansas which of course the appreciation for home was the moral of the story. You got it. The Scarecrow got something, too. Was it a heart? No, the Scarecrow got a brain. Oh, wait. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the Tin Man. 
the tin man. Oh, yeah, he got a dick. <laughs> what did the lion get? <laughs> he got courage. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so the boon can take a lot of different forms. Is there a sequel to Wizard of Oz? Because I bet it... There, the books, yes. Yeah, I'm sure it like shows how, oh, man, the scarecrow, I didn't want a fucking brain. Ah, uh, man, I forget. I read a bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of books in that series. There's like seven or eight. Really? Frank Baum. And I think, uh, I want to say that the lion becomes like a dictator. Oh, yeah. Later on. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why the hero's journey is always drawn as a circle. Because like... It repeats itself. The uh, cycle ends and starts basically... Starts anew. Yeah, which we'll probably We're gonna get talk into about in the next this episode. In, in, yeah, probably in the next episode. Yeah, because that kind of folds into the saculum really well. So we're going to talk more about yeah. that. So after the hero gets the boon, they have to head back to the home world or the home place, right? It's time for the part three, if we break it up into three parts, which is the return. Oh, yeah, the end. Yeah. The road back, getting back home can take a lot of different forms as well. So I just want to do a little caveat here. Sometimes heroes aren't given the boon. Sometimes they steal it. Hmm. Like when Prometheus steals fire from the gods and brings it to men. That's a quick little hero's journey. He sneaks up into heaven, takes the fire, runs back and brings it to the people, yeah. right? And then he's punished forever for it. All right, so if you think about the hero's journey, right, as that, as that circle diagram, yeah, you start out, uh, and as you're leaving the known world, right, and you cross the threshold into the unknown, yeah, you circle around, you go on the road of ordeals, you kind of get to the supreme ordeal, which are those final inner tests. Supreme ordeal. That's an ordeal with sour cream on it, right? Yep. And then you achieve apotheosis, right, which is that final transformation of the hero and the receiving of the ultimate boon or the stealing of the ultimate boon. And then the last bit of this unknown world that you have to go through is to get back to the threshold and get back into the known world. Now, depending on what happens to the hero during the apotheosis section, there can be basically three different ways to get back. I should say three different hurdles on the way back home. Because sometimes... When the hero has achieved this apotheosis, they don't want to go back. So one one of the sections that Joseph... So a lot of people just clump these together into the road back. But Joseph Campbell breaks it into three different types of returning, right? And he, he deems them, one, refusal of the return, which is where you don't want to go back. It's like, oh, I want to live in this cave with all these dead monsters that I just killed. Yeah. Or like, let's call it, like, if we're talking about Buddha, yeah. right? Once oh, yeah. you've achieved this divine state in Nirvana... Why would you return to the material world? Because that's what makes a hero a hero. Yeah. Is that once they've achieved this ultimate boon, they don't just take it for themselves. Or they don't just like oh, yeah. become gotta, totally distant. They got to bring it back and share it with the world. They bring it back and share it. And that's actually one of the main lessons of the hero's journey, like to, as it's told as a story to kids over and over and again, yeah. is like, you don't just hold on to that shit once you get it. You bring it back and you share it with the tribe. You yeah. share it with your family. You share it with the world at large to help make it better. We're going to get into that in a second. Anyway, so some heroes will refuse the return. Some will have to do what's called a magic flight or like a sort of hectic like run back, like sprint back. Like get maybe there's a volcano erupting. Eagles. Yeah, and <laughs> you got to get out of there. <laughs> and then sometimes, actually that's probably rescue from without, which is where another external presence rescues the hero from a place of danger to yeah. get them back to the known world and, and a place of safety. Then when the hero is returned to society, this is part 16 of Joseph Campbell's breakdown. They're in this state called the master of two worlds because they've have gone from the normal world, traveled into this place of unknown, 
attained skills, learned how to use the force. Yeah. And then they return back to society with this mastery of this unknown yeah. area, right? And that's like the end of the Matrix movie where Neo is like, he's obviously free from the Matrix, but he's also around, he's able to just go back in there into and, the Matrix. And, just go, and literally just fuck around. He's able to fly. He's literally able to just fly. Yeah. He, he just, can just do whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, now he, now the hero has become the master of these two worlds. They yeah. have this this otherworldly divine power, divine connection that grants them the ability to this mastery over the world they were in before and this other divine power. Yeah. And that that might be that might take the form of in the case of Buddha being able to exist in the material world while also understanding enlightenment and being connected with that divinity. Because if you were just totally aloof, then you can't give anything back. But if yeah. you can master like knowledge of what is concrete and what is physical, but also mastery of divinity, that's what they kind of mean by master of two worlds. Yeah. You're able to kind of achieve that balance between this ultimate boon that you received and living a normal life. Yeah, you get back into the real world and you're like, yeah, I got this boon, but I'm not going to be a dick about it. I'm not going to be a dick about it. I'm going to just be more fully engaged in this world and this other part of the world that I now understand. Yeah. And I think that there can come more hero's journey. I mean, like we talked about, it's, it's a circle, right? Because then you can get called to another adventure and that's achieve another part... level of, <laughs> you yeah. know. That's book two. That's Matrix Revelations or yeah, exactly. whatever the second one's called. The last part is just called Freedom to Live. And this Joseph Campbell describes as just like, now the hero is not afraid of failure because they've embraced the idea of adventure and like the idea of the journey. So they live in the moment, and they just accept things as they come up. So that's the breakdown <laughs> of the monomyth structure as a whole. Yeah. Obviously, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I think in the next episode, we'll be able to break it down and kind of provide some examples, right? That's yeah. I want Next episode, I want to talk more about the embodiments of particular archetypes as found in the hero's journey. So I want to talk more about things like the world tree or like what, what Joseph Campbell calls the world navel. Yeah, we'll talk uh, more about the womb analogy. Yeah. We'll talk more about the specific archetypes like the mentor, Yoda, Dumbledore, the threshold guardians again, the the different type of commonalities between the villain archetypes, like the people that we have to face in the final ordeal. We didn't talk about that much and we will. But before we bid adieu to this part of the episode, I just want to highlight that, you know, Joseph Campbell saw this not only as just like a storytelling structure and narrative but he truly felt that the reason that this is a persistent myth and persistent story that exists across all cultures and religions and folklore worldwide is because it's it's an attempt to tell the story of like how to be a better person in the world because from joseph campbell's point of view there's one kind of seminal lesson that this story teaches and every society ever has been trying to teach it and what it is is that as an individual, you can't rely on society to like do what's right and propel things forward in the right direction. Yeah, you have to rely on the individual person. Yeah, you as an individual mm-hmm. have to answer the call of your own morality, your own heart, your own drive. Become your truest and most divine and most real self and then bring that boon, bring that goodness and realness and trueness back to your society to make your society better. Joseph Campbell was saying, ask not. (laughs) (laughs) Ask not what your story can do for you. But what you can do for your story. (laughs) Like, literally, though. I mean. But, but yeah. And also, it's three, three, four hundred years ago. 
until then, the only real way to communicate that was through storytelling. So it had to, they had to have a structural, not that it was a conscious effort, but they right. had to have a structure. The result was that a structure developed, right? Yeah. For telling this story, like you were saying, when parents or when societies are trying to tell this story to their kids, like, hey, you got to go figure out your own self. You got to go figure out your own life, become your best self, become your own person. And then that's what's going to allow you to help society is by like listening to your true self and becoming yeah. your true self, right? And so, I mean, Joseph Campbell actually coined the term follow your bliss. That comes from him. And your bliss isn't, it's not a hedonistic idea. It's yeah. not like what's fun or what's great. Yeah, it's it's like, like, it's your true drive. It's your true passion. It's like you you got to go out and you got to find out what really matters to you, what's really important to you, what you really care about. You got to ignore the trappings of like maybe what society is telling you is important or what your culture might be pushing on you, like in terms of some consumerist whatever. And you got to like find what's real and truly meaningful to you. Pursue that fearlessly. Turn down every temptation on the way. Achieve that trueness of self and then you can come back to society and propel society forward instead of allowing society to hold you in this little box (laughs) one thing that joseph that i also want to highlight before we move on to the next episode that he brings up is that the denial of the call or like the resistance to allow this cycle to repeat can result in the hero who was returned with the boon becoming a tyrant that then must be overthrown by the next hero which is really fucking ties into our the saculum theory that we've been exactly. developing not we've been developing but we've, we've been, been discussing exploring yeah and we hope to explore in the future hint hint we definitely are i mean <laughs> <laughs> we might no i mean i kept thinking about that like we talked about it in episode one and then joseph campbell highlights it in this book which i didn't expect he says like the hero who returns with a boon can become the emperor and lead his civilization to a new level. Yeah, which means he's the villain. Is it is maybe the villain, the the villain for the next story? For the, yeah. for the next, yeah, the next hero's journey. It's like story. we were saying when we vanquish capitalism and we set up this new beautiful society, our kids' kids are going to be like, "Fuck this place! We'll be <laughs> yeah. like, we did this <laughs> like, for you. We need to save the world from whatever replaces capitalism." Exactly. And then, uh, and then the world will be better after that. Yeah, and and it's a lesson to us to not be resistant to that next wave of change, to just recognize it as the same movement for progress for bettering a society and making the world a better place. <clears throat> Remember how I told you that this is, the hero's journey is three parts. Yeah. The beginning, the middle, the end. Yeah, the, the upper call, bun, the patty, and the lower bun. Exactly. The call, <laughs> the initiation, and the return. You're going to get a kick out of this little factoid oh, right here. Oh, Hold fuck. on. In Hinduism, there's a word for that. It's three syllables. The first one is ah, and that means a call. Uh, it's like a call to adventure. Yeah. The next syllable that represents this story is O, and that means trials or d- ideals, oh. right? And then the last syllable, and this is from some older Hindu something, is M, mm, and that's the return. Oh, I see where we're going with this. Do you? Fucking meditation. Dude. Oh. Oh. So in, in yeah, in the Hindu gods, or like in Hinduism... You would say these three syllables, uh, repeating them as a representation of this process, this venturing away from home, experiencing ordeals, and returning. You say, Aum, Aum, Aum. Yeah. And it became, Aum, Aum. So when we were talking about Aum people, yeah. they were just people talking about the hero's journey. Is Aum people a racial slur? <laughs> No. 
Um, Om is the mother of all mantras, my friend. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out when I was talking about what, what was that? Was that episode two or uh, episode two of uh, Young, where I was talking? About, or, no, we were talking about the Gateway tapes. Yeah, I was trying to figure out to, how to describe the relation between Om and meditation, which for some reason I was not able to find any information on. But well, I found it when I was uh, looking listening very, to this freaking book. I didn't yeah. expect that I would hear that, <laughs> yeah. and then I was like. Holy shit, Tyler, you gotta know. Home people is actually home people. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll also, like, as fucking above, so fucking below. Right. You're, it's a circle, and then, like, go, what fucking shape is your tongue doing while you're doing that? That's crazy. Fucking circle. (laughs) And then the sounds you're making are waves. Yeah, I mean, your mouth is obviously always a circle. That's no no surprise to anybody. Yeah, but I bet this, I bet the sound waves look like that, too. Yeah. Frequency distribution. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the best part of the podcast. No, but that's um, the thing. I, you know, like it's it's fun to sort of get this introductory template of the hero's journey. And like like we mentioned earlier, I next episode I want to talk more about different archetypes. We'll probably run through a couple of myths from different cultures. Like I really want to touch on Norse mythology because we talked about it a little bit in the um, yeah. Young you mentioned series. the guy in the Young series. You mentioned the um, Siegfried, Siegfried, and there was one other and the Greek, dwarf. Yeah, which we Mim. mentioned, but we didn't. Uh, Mimi. Yeah, so we're gonna cover those Mimir, two guys. Yeah. yeah, Mimir, and the truth is that pagan Germanic mythology and Norse mythology are basically the same thing. Yeah. And that's where those two characters come from. So we're going to talk about that. And that has to do with the Icelandic, uh, Edda as well. So we'll cover that. And probably the Sumerian mythological stories, because they're some of my favorite Enkidu and Enlil and all these really, really freaking cool characters. But also, we're going to use those stories to talk more about a few different tropes in mythology, like creation myth tropes, common like narrative themes and creation myths we'll talk about resurrection myths and then we'll talk about uh ragnarok into the world Fuck yeah yeah so well let's not spoil it now i don't want to spoil it yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, like, <laughs> hey guys we're going to talk more about myths in the next episode or two that might even end up being a couple more episodes nice maybe um, we'll uh, throw a bonus episode in there we've been hinting at some bonus episodes and then not delivering which is really cool of us i know you guys still love us <laughs> But yeah, it's really fun to sort of get the lay the groundwork for some future episodes by yeah. exploring the sort of narrative skeleton of myths yeah. and just stories in general. And it's kind of blowing my mind how I mean we're kind of joking like oh it's all the episodes will kind of tie together and they kind of fucking are a lot more than I thought they would. Yeah, you know what would be crazy is if we can represent Shackleton's story in the hero's journey because that's a, that's a oh, real thing that happened to a real shit. person. Yeah, so it's like yeah. You want to try and do it real quick? All right. Let's do it. Oh, All that'll right. be a bonus episode. Just, okay. Well, let's do it outro, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> no. All right. All right. Uh, maybe before we go, you want to do a fortune cookie? Yeah, we should probably do a fortune cookie. Before yeah. we get to the fortune cookie, I just wanted to really quickly thank you for getting so nice and dressed up for our podcast oh. session here. You got, yeah. got your freaking tie on and your yes and your uh, nice I always shirt look there. amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, but the listener doesn't know that. Well, they do now. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up so they would know. Yeah. Because I didn't want them to miss out on it. I know. I dressed up special for this episode. Yeah. So let's get up into the old fortune cookie. Let's crack us open a little treat. You will be blessed with longevity. Oh, fuck yeah. That is so funny. You will be blessed with longevity if you You follow your fucking real shit. And if you're not into the whole bravery thing. 
You'll be blessed with longevity if you're not in a brevity. That's just all we're <laughs> going to say about it. Thanks, guys, so much for listening to another episode of Beautiful Animals Podcast. Check us out on the old Instagram there at beautiful.animals.pod. Also, you know, if you're feeling so inclined, go on to the old... Uh, Send us an email yeah, at beautifulanimalspodcast at gmail.com. That's us. We uh, love your feedback. We love your photos, even the feet photos, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got any feet yet. I'm not sure why. Both anyway, kinds. keep them coming. We love you guys so much. And uh, tune in next week for more on myths and fun shit. Now, it's very important to have a catchphrase. That mm. way the world is catched by your phrase. My personal catchphrase is reminding people to stay hydrated, drink a little bit of water. You just got to get chug a little. Just glug it down your little throat mm-hmm. with some of that mm-hmm. wet stuff. It's clear usually when you get it from the right Yeah, source. here's what I would say about your catchphrases. Pursue your own hydration with reckless <laughs> abandon. <laughs> just go for it. You know what? Just juice it. Juice it, man. That's another way of Don't saying it. Don't let life keep you from getting the juice out of every moment. Actually, juice it is all about this episode. This yeah. episode is just about juice it. So... <laughs> If you want to know what juice it means, listen to this episode again, because it means to follow your fucking heart, be fearless in the pursuit of that which sets your soul on fire, and quit your job. Be like me. Quit your job. (laughs) And if you're... What the hell was I going to say? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, bye. But you're still going to stress out about it. You are. And it's, yeah. But, but you're going to stress out all the time no matter what. Mm-hmm. You just got to figure out who's going to get the money for stress. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the most dollars per per unit of whatever they measure blood pressure in. HG. Yeah. See, so you, you, you take the stress route of building blood pressure. I take the French fry method. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's m- many ways. All roads yeah. lead to cardiac arrest. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>